Good evening and welcome to Entity News. I'm Sue Biamba in for Stefania Cox. Here are today's top stories. Domestic flights are taking off again. However, some say a cyber attack could have taken place. What the Biden administration is saying. Alleged lies during the 2022 campaign. Fellow lawmakers are now calling on a newly elected congressman to resign. President Biden's aides have reportedly found a second batch of classified documents at a new location, and the White House refusing to answer key questions. Many counties across California are still under evacuation orders, but some residents of a coastal town refuse to leave their homes. The governor of New York is on a mission to reduce emissions, announcing a plan to start banning gas heating by 2025. Could there be a new vaccine mandate for the military? A new document shows updated guidelines for what's called medical countermeasures. Air travel is picking up again. After a system crash last night, the FAA grounded all domestic flights for the first time since 9-11. The federal government says it doesn't yet know what caused the outage. Late Tuesday night, the Notice to Air Missions, or NOTAM, system crashed. NOTAM serves as a pilot alerting system. The Federal Aviation Administration, or FAA, grounded all domestic flights in response. This resulted in more than 1,200 flight cancellations and 8,500 delays by Wednesday afternoon. Some are speculating that the system didn't fail by accident. Any indication that there was a cyber attack involved? There's been no direct evidence or indication of that, but uh, we are also not going to rule that out until we have a, a clearer and better understanding of what's taking place. President Biden on Wednesday morning told reporters that the federal government doesn't know what caused the crash. Planes continued taking off after midday. However, people were still impacted by the system failure. Well, it does make one wonder what would have happened. You would think that the FAA would have pretty solid computer systems, and this is kind of a surprise. I don't remember this ever happening before. Biden has ordered the Transportation Department to investigate the outage. Reporting by Arian Pazdar, NTD News. Various Republicans are calling on newly elected Representative George Santos to resign. They say his campaign lies went too far. A group of senior New York Republicans on Wednesday called on newly elected Representative George Santos to resign from office. They say he repeatedly lied about his past during his campaign. He has no place in the Nassau County Republican Committee, nor should he serve in public service, nor as an elected official. He's not welcome here at Republican headquarters for meetings or at any of our events. He cannot serve anymore. He does not deserve that right. He is a stain on the House of Representatives. He's a stain on the 3rd Congressional District. George Santos does not have the ability to serve here in the House of Representatives and should resign. Santos fabricated aspects of his past during his campaign, including parts of his education and career. He also said that his parents were Holocaust survivors and fled to Brazil. Santos admitted to lying in December, but has indicated that he doesn't plan on stepping down. Congressman Santos, will you resign? 
I will not. Santos said he had degrees from certain universities, even though the institutions don't have a record of him attending. He also claimed to have worked at Goldman Sachs and Citigroup, when he didn't directly. Santos represents a district in Long Island, New York. The local party started no process to remove him from office. Two Democrat congressmen from New York filed a complaint against Santos with the House Ethics Committee on Tuesday. Reporting by Arian Pazdar, NTD News. Abortion, among the first priorities for the Republican-led House. Lawmakers are taking up a bill today they say is meant to protect babies that survive an attempted abortion. And today's Melina Weiskop reports from Capitol Hill. On a vote of 220 to 210, the House passed a bill meant to require proper medical care for a baby who survives an attempted abortion. An NBC report in 2006 they told the story of a 23-week-old baby boy that was born alive at an abortion clinic in Hylia, Florida. When he began breathing and moving, the abortion clinic owner, Belkis Gonzalez, reportedly cut the umbilical cord and zipped him into a biohazard bag. One Democrat, Henry Cuellar, joined Republicans to pass it. The seven-page bill would impose consequences if one does not give proper care to a living baby, including prison time of up to five years. It specifies that mothers would not be prosecuted. Instead, mothers could obtain relief, money damage for all injuries, psychological and physical. The facts that we're talking about here, a child has been born alive. Its heart is beating, its eyes are blinking, Taking care of that baby is not extreme, it is basic human dignity. On the other side of the aisle, Democrats dismiss the bill as a political stunt, arguing there are already laws in place to protect babies born alive. It is a crime now to kill a child born alive. In fact, in May of 2013, a Philadelphia man was convicted of first-degree murder in the killing of three infants. He's now serving life without parole. The Democrat House leader says he believes this bill is just the first step. A march toward criminalizing abortion care. A nationwide ban. Government mandated pregnancies. Part of an extreme MAGA Republican agenda. What would your response be to that? I'd say that the last Congress we saw the most extreme nature of Democrats. When you agree to the the abortion of a baby up until the moment of birth, that's extreme. And this bill that Republicans in the House pushed today is comes directly after Democrats passed a couple of abortion bills during last Congress. But this bill for from House Republicans is mainly a messaging opportunity. That's because it does stand up against a Biden-controlled White House and a Democrat-controlled Senate. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Wisecup, NTD News. A second batch of classified materials reportedly found by President Biden's aides at a new location and the White House today dodging key questions. And today's Iris Tower brings us more from, from the White House. More documents have been found. That's according to a new report today by NBC News, which cites an unnamed source. The report says aides to Biden have discovered at least one additional batch of classified documents in a location separate from the Penn Biden Center, where the first batch was found. The report adds that after the first batch was found in November, Biden's aides have been searching for any additional documents that might be in other locations he used. 
Meanwhile, right before NBC broke that story this afternoon, the White House held its first media briefing after it admitted on Monday to the discovery of the first batch of documents. The press secretary dodging a barrage of questions, including why the White House kept it from the public for months after the documents were first found in November. Again, I'm not going to get into details. I'm not going to get beyond what the president shared yesterday. I'm not going to go beyond uh, what the president said yesterday. I'm not going to. All this as lawmakers are calling for more disclosure. House Republicans have already launched an investigation into the handling of the documents. And in the Senate, the top Democrat of the Intelligence Committee is calling for Congress to be briefed on the matter. Reporting from the White House, Aris Tau, NTD News. As storms rage on in California, the death toll continues to rise and many residents have been asked to evacuate. But despite the orders, some locals refuse to leave their homes. And today's Jackie Rios has the latest. The latest rounds of storms that struck California left hundreds of thousands of residents under flood warnings. In counties like Ventura and Santa Cruz, thousands of homeowners have been asked to evacuate. But some residents have chosen to stay despite the orders. Right after I got here, they put an evacuation order. We opted to stay. So we'll probably be sitting here for the rest of the day before they can figure out how to get us back and forth. La Conchita, a small coastal community located in Ventura County, California, were among those asked to evacuate. Here, we're not necessarily impacted by flooding, um, but we are impacted by the hillside behind us. And so uh, we keep an eye on rain totals. Thankfully, we still have electricity. We still have utilities uh, to uh, shelter in place. Aaron Ryan, another resident who decided to shelter in place at a house near Hillside, was cautious of a potential landslide, but noted he still had electricity and utilities. Living close to the coast uh, along California, there's, there's, uh, there's quite a few you know, geological threats. Uh, tsunamis, fire, landslides, uh, and so um, it's you 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 balance the the cost of living here. According to PowerOutage.us, there are still more than 60,000 homes without power. More than half of the 58 counties in California have declared disaster areas. I think we're definitely at a point now where we can see the, the devastating impacts that these uh, first few storms have caused in Ventura County. We know that there is more rain on the way, which means that we're going to have to continue to, to prepare. In Ventura County, the fire department has rescued 42 people from the Ventura River and Santa Clara River. As of Monday, the Ventura River water level rose to 25 feet. With the muddy water that we have in these type of flood conditions, it's very difficult to determine how deep it is or if the road has eroded underneath the water. The National Weather Service advised 39 million Californians to anticipate up to five inches of rainfall near the coast, more snow to the west, and heavy winds that could reach 65 miles an hour in the coming days across the state. Damages have totaled nearly $1 billion, and the current death toll sits at 17. Jackie Rios, NTD News, California. And over in New York, Governor Kathy Hochul announced plans to ban gas heating starting 2025. NTD's Arlene Richards has more. I'm optimistic about this upcoming year and about the future. New York Governor Kathy Hochul has plans to make New York the leading state in capping greenhouse gas emissions. 
To achieve this, Hochul announced a number of proposals largely aimed at providing safe and affordable housing to low-income residents. Hochul plans to make all of the new homes energy efficient by doing this. I'm proposing a plan to end the sale of new fossil-powered heating equipment by 2030. In her State of the State address on Tuesday, Hochul called for all new construction to be zero emission starting in 2025. One of the ways she plans to get there is through a cap-and-invest program that penalizes fossil fuel companies and encourages clean energy alternatives. Big emitters will have to purchase permits to sell polluting fuels. The dirtier the fuel, the bigger the price tag. An energy expert said it's not going to work. The goal is to, to do damage to the American fossil fuel industry. This would only work if we were making enormous investments in increasing the amount of electricity the state produces. But New York electricity production is actually down. He said New York has had its problems with blackouts. And when that happens, fossil fuels still work. If we're relying on the electric grid, the grid has to work, and the grid is becoming increasingly more unreliable. But Hochul's ambitions are consistent with a proposed plan by the Biden administration. Consumer Product Safety Commissioner Richard Trumka Jr. told Bloomberg on Wednesday that gas stove usage is a hidden hazard. The agency is considering banning gas stoves, which have been called a source of indoor pollution linked to childhood asthma. In a series of Twitter posts, Democrats and Republicans sparred over the proposed plan. On Monday, Texas Republican Representative Ronnie Jackson tweeted, I'll never give up my gas stove, to which New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez mockingly replied, exposure to NO2 from gas stoves is linked to reduced cognitive performance. A climate and environment expert said banning gas stoves is a bad idea. Basically, you're moving the pollution to another location. If you're producing electricity, the electricity is coming from somewhere, and that's producing emissions. He said electric appliances are less efficient and they cost more. Hochul said her announced proposals are just the tip of the iceberg. She said her 147 policy proposals are contained in a 275-page book. Arlene Richards, NTD News. The United States military dropped its COVID vaccine mandate yesterday, but a newly released document shows more vaccine mandates could be around the corner. And today's Jason Perry has the story. On Tuesday, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin issued a memorandum ending the COVID-19 vaccine mandate for the U.S. military. And on that same day, the Department of Defense announced that troops may need to take rapidly developed vaccines in certain situations. The new guidelines come from the military's Chemical and Biological Defense Program, or CBDP. The aim is to help the military better respond to chemical agents, which could be something like mustard gas or sarin and also to protect troops from biological agents, which could be viruses, either naturally occurring or man-made. And one of the new approaches listed is for troops to take rapidly produced vaccines and drugs, which it calls medical countermeasures. But it wouldn't just be given to individuals infected by the chemical or biological agent, but to the whole military. The CBDP plans to partner with pharmaceutical companies to better produce the drugs and vaccines. And the CBDP says this new approach allows the military to remain operational, combat ready, or worst case, minimally impacted. 
Any innovation in medicine, especially when it supports our warfighter, in my belief, is a step in the right direction. I talked to Army veteran Chaz Sampson, who's also the founder and CEO of Seven Principles, which helps veterans with their disability claims. Also, we are very familiar with burn pit exposure. We're experienced to, uh, we're used to the herbicide exposure of Agent Orange. These things have been going on for decades and decades. And whenever we can put something in place that corrects that or at least mitigates that, I think, in my belief, is a step in the right direction. He also added this about the new approach. There's a very fine line between personal choice and also, you know, popular governance governance of, of, of a force. So, you know, I really stand neutral on it, to be frank with you. But my personal opinion is that every, every person should be able to choose what they put into their body and more importantly, um, what they feel is best for their own best interest. But the military doesn't necessarily roll like that because it's, it's, there's a bigger issue at stake, if you will. The new CBDP document can be found at defense.gov. We reached out to the Department of Defense, but we haven't heard back yet. Jason Perry, NTD News. Coming up, the death of a Chinese official shining a spotlight on Beijing's darkest secret. We hear from three experts. And in the NFL, Bill's safety Demar Hamlin continues his remarkable recovery, now at home. NTD's Dave Martin has the story. That and more after this short break. An obituary gives us an unexpected glimpse into the true nature of China's organ trafficking market, and it's sparking heated speculations. And today's Xiao Hali has the story. Over the years, he had struggled with diseases and had many organs replaced in his body. He once joked that many components are not his own anymore. That's what gave goosebumps to a number of Chinese internet users last Tuesday. Written in an online obituary by a Chinese Communist Party official to commemorate Gao Zhenxiang, a former commissioner of China's Federation of Literary and Art Circle, who died early last month. But the news of his death was only made public near a month later, without mentioning the cause of his death. China's internet censors immediately took down the obituary. But speculations about Gao's alleged extensive organ transplant history are heating up. It has long been heard officials replace organs and blood. Whose organs were they? It's widely known in China that senior CCP officials enjoy certain privileges. But it's the first time a CCP official has been revealed as having access to multiple matching organs, each of which could cost someone's life. China first analyst Tang Jingyuan calls organ transplantation a welfare within the ranks of high-level CCP officials. We simply calculate what is the total number of officials above the ministerial level in the CCP system, including those who are retired. Then such a large number of people, if they can enjoy such treatment and they can do it more than once, it will inevitably bring a problem. Where does such large organ supply come from? He adds that if there's no large secret pool of live human bodies within the CCP system, officials simply couldn't enjoy such so-called benefits. 
This matter is actually a taboo for the CCP, especially about organs transplanted to high-ranking officials. When the forced organ harvesting of Falun Gong practitioners was first revealed in 2006, questions were raised regarding organ transplant abuses by the regime. For decades, China has been accused of harvesting the organs of its citizens by force. The victims are killed in the process, and their organs are used in transplant operations, generating billions of dollars. China is doing somewhere between 60 and 100,000 transplants per year in their country, and they're not reporting them. And again, I think this isn't just a problem of ethics. This is a problem of bad medicine. A latecomer to the field, China currently has the second largest transplant program in the world after the U.S., but without a viable organ donation or distribution system. In the 2020 China Tribunal judgment, it said Falun Gong practitioners have been one and probably the main source of organ supply. Then they're essentially killed on demand for their organs. So somebody that has had, again, multiple organ transplants that lives to 90, that has had those transplants anywhere in the last 20 years, the likelihood is uh, this official received those organs uh, from the on-demand killing of, of, of innocent life. The longevity of senior party members have long been a subject of curiosity in China. But Hong He says as the virus rages in China, greater longevity saw its limits, even with multiple transplants. Around mid-November, there was an outbreak in a hospital in Beijing. These people have long been hospitalized there, have intensive care units and special people to take care of them. But when the virus broke out in the hospital, their advantage of being protected away from the society now becomes a disadvantage. Patients that, that have a transplant that end up in the hospital, um, as high as 28 percent of those patients will die uh, uh, from uh, COVID or from the viral illness. In a post by the American Lung Association, people with compromised immune systems are at higher risk for severe COVID-19, even if they get vaccinated. Those taking immunosuppressants for preventing organ transplant injection are considered immunocompromised. Xiaohua Li, NTD News. Now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Sue. Bill's safety, Damar Hamlin, is headed home. The 24-year-old who went to cardiac arrest on the field just nine days ago is being discharged today from a hospital in Buffalo. Hamlin flew to Buffalo Monday after spending a week at a Cincinnati hospital where he made what doctors called a remarkable recovery. Hamlin is now at home with his family after going through a comprehensive medical evaluation for the past two days. Dr. Jamie Nadler, a critical care physician at Buffalo General Hospital, said in a statement, quote, we have completed a series of tests and evaluations and in consultation with the team physicians, we are confident that DeMar can be safely discharged to continue his rehabilitation at home and with the Bills. Bills coach Sean McDermott said they'll leave it up to Hamlin regarding when he'll return to the team facility. And in tennis news, former number one ranked women's player Naomi Osaka announced she's pregnant. The 25-year-old who recently withdrew from next week's Australian Open posted a picture of an ultrasound on Twitter with a message saying, quote, I know that I have much to look forward to in the future. One thing I'm looking forward to is for my kid to watch one of my matches and tell someone that's my mom. The four-time Grand Slam champion hasn't played a full match since her first round exit at the U.S. Open back in late August. <laughs> 
And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has eight games planned featuring the hottest team in the league, the Memphis Grizzlies, won seven in a row, hosting the Spurs. And finally, for you hockey fans, the NHL has four games on tap, including the Washington Capitals and star winger Alex Ovechkin, as he continues his quest to catch Wayne Gretzky's career scoring record playing at Philadelphia. And that's it for your sports news. Back to you, Sue. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Sue Biamba. Good night.